You know, it's been a long time now, but when we came back from PAX Unplugged, uh, I myself felt I was giddy. I was high on the experience of being there. The, the experience of being at PAX Unplugged was just so inspirational and uh, celebrational. Uh, maybe not muppetational. Anyway, uh, it's a pretty exciting I- event for us. And so we all came back kind of energized by things. And, of course, it's been a while now since we've recorded, thanks to all the changes in my life. But uh, this recording that you're about to listen to is the Tuesday right after PAX, uh, right after PAX Unplugged. And we were all talking about our experience of PAX Unplugged. So it turns out to be kind of an advertisement for PAX Unplugged. Um, but hopefully it will be uh, enlightening for some of you who may want to go to PAX Unplugged or maybe even we talk about something that impacts you in some way. So I'm excited to offer yet another podcast in, in like a two-week period. You guys should be really proud of me. Um, and we're just going to get on with the show. So uh, here you go. This is Rolling for Change. Thanks for joining us. For change, I am your host, Woody Harris. And you are joined by one of your co-hosts, Brian Peace, and the other co-host... Josue Cardona. What's up, everybody? Josue and Brian. Hello, guys. Hey, guys. No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I, one, it's been one, so long since I've seen one you guys. One discussion I had while we, were, while we were away was that it's not Josue, it's Josue. Josue, remember. Oh, Josue. Remember. Josue. 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 Remember. I got to go up on the There's way. There's a visual aid on the E. Josue. Josue. <laughs> you know, you'd think I would have already gotten this after so many years of talking to you, Josue. Josue. Now it's going to be, now I'm going to be all conscientious. Ever, conscientious? I'm going to be all aware. Self-conscious. Self-conscious. Thank you. Good. Always ask the English teacher about words. About Spanish words. So, hey, guys, we just got back. <laughs> we just got back from PAX Unplugged. And uh, for the listeners, we're really just going to geek out about PAX Unplugged today. And uh, we're going to learn how to say the name Josue. Uh, <laughs> at the end of this podcast, there'll be a primer on how to speak the language. So we'll just we'll just say Josue over and over again until you get it. Kind of like parakeet talk. Uh, Woody, I believe it. I Josue. believe it's called. It's a primer, not a primer. <laughs> yep. It's a primer. <laughs> if you could see the look on my face. And just in case you'd be even up, happier than you are right now. Just in case it comes up, is pronunciation, not pronunciation. In case that ever comes Thank up. Thank you. <laughs> oh my so god. So this is pretty much what Pax Unplugged <laughs> was like for me. It was just <laughs> it was all just about <laughs> checking English <laughs> and pronunciation. I was gonna say it was having a lot of fun with friends, but but that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this convention marked the first time that all three of us were actually ever in the room together. I, that's true. I've never seen Brian's face without a screen in Except between. On, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was momentous. It was. It was. There were sparks. It was, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'd do it again. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So, PAX Unplugged was a fantastic experience uh, for me, and I assume it was for you guys. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think 
there's just so much to talk about. So from the listener's perspective, you've already listened to our, our interviews with, uh, with designers and you've already listened to our podcast that we did while we were up there. That's our first podcast where we were ever all face to face. And you've already listened to our podcast itself. So this is going to be more of our general take on PAX. So maybe, Brian, you could just tell us what, what's your impression of PAX? What was it like for you? Well, I've been to Gen Con. I've been to Origins, Dragon Con, uh, Dice Tower Con, Dragon Con. Um, and this one was like a pared down version of Gen Con or Origins to me. Um, a sizable... Um, exhibit exhibition hall, yeah, sizable free play area, um, rather large. But you could turn around and talk to someone with a backpack on and not risk running into fifteen people. Yeah, <laughs> so that was that was a lot. That was really nice, just having that much space and that much room. I mean, it wasn't that there were significantly fewer people, although I think you know it was fewer people than Gen Con. Probably, have. I can't imagine it, it was has. Gen Con size, but still, the 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 aisles, the space between vendors was just so large that even whenever there were, you know, dozens of people in the same area, you still weren't about to run into someone. Okay, so to be nice. fair, on Saturday night, it was a little packed. It was a little packed, but nothing nothing like you know, God help us at Dragon Con. Sure, it's impossible to move in the dealers hall. Well, day one, uh. I was talking to one of the designers and I actually said about the same thing you just said. And I danced around a little cause I'm like, this never happens. <laughs> <laughs> and in spite of all that, most of the dealers I saw were doing pretty brisk business. Yeah. When I talked to folks, they said, we feel pretty confident that this is going well. I spoke to a friend who was working the Goodman games booth and he was, he said, I'm, I'm exhausted, but it's wonderfully exhausted because yeah, you know, there's so much business coming around here. Yeah. So. Yeah, Hostway, what was you've been to the other PAXs, so you know PAX East and PAX West and PAX, PAX North by Northwest. What, what was it? What's the difference in the crowd size? So, uh, it was a lot smaller than PAX East, which is the one I've I've been to. Which I I believe PAX East is the largest of the PAXs as far as um, attendees, number of attendees. And that's pretty packed. Uh, this was smaller. It has a lot to do with like it's 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 the first year. It is. It was a different venue than than PAX East, but um, yeah, it felt it felt like PAX. It's like you know just um, things like the naming of the of the rooms and the badges and the the merch booth and the. I mean, I don't know if you guys got involved in Penny Arcade at all, which is this um, pin culture, which is. I mean, if you if you're familiar with Disney, that they have all these pins, uh, Penny Arcade yeah. um, or PAX is is a lot like that. So you do this thing called Penny Arcade, and for every event, they have a core set, and then there are special um, exhibitors and vendors who have exclusive pins. And a lot of people try to get the full set, and the different employees from PAX have their own pins, and it's a lot of fun to do that. A few years ago, I didn't do it for me, but I did it for a friend who couldn't go, so I, I got that whole experience, mm-hmm. and that's pretty cool. It's expensive, but it's a, a lot of fun. So, so it felt like PAX, except that um, the show floor, for example, at a video game convention, it is so dark, and it's like, uh, uh, and and way way louder. 
because there's all sorts of speakers and screens. And again, it's darker so that you can see those screens. And there's booth babes and there's giant dinosaurs and robots. And, and it's like, <laughs> it's, it's pretty crazy. So this feels very toned down, but it's, it's, it's appropriate, right? Um, in, in the regular Paxes, I think that the, you know, the, the main attraction is definitely the video games. And although there's always a tabletop presence, it's relegated to like the outer area. It's not the, it's definitely not the main attraction. And the free play area here was way bigger than anything I've ever seen at, at, um, at a PAX. So, so again, it felt like okay. PAX, but it was, but it, but it had its own flavor and, and I liked it. I, I, it was like the perfect size for me. You know what Brian was saying about how you could breathe and move around. Absolutely. That was great. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of conventions as they grow, they lose that. So hopefully they'll, you know, if it's successful or if, if this was deemed a success, hopefully they'll open other ones so that it doesn't, it isn't just PAX Unplugged that becomes bigger and then more uncomfortable. Right, right. I mean, I could, I could see them stretching it out. I, I got the feeling that the reason PAX Unplugged existed was because the gaming, the, the tabletop gaming section of PAX was probably growing. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Maybe. I mean, I think just uh, tabletop gaming in general is growing. It probably, I mean, uh, PAX was born out of video games, but you know, like gaming, you don't. We don't have to separate the two. Um, but PAX is definitely video game focused, and I don't know. I think it was right. just. I think it was a great experiment, and I'm curious to hear, you know, what what they what they say, and and if they plan on on doing another one. Yeah, me too. I, I uh, you know, the thing I'll say about the pen trading. I saw the pen trading going on, and I was kind of confused. I'm like, how is that coming here? That's Disney culture. That's completely like for me. It just didn't. The two didn't connect, and I didn't start to realize that this was really going on until Sunday when I started looking around. I'm like, there's all these places that are. It's not just one place that has pens. I thought it was just one place. No, it's everywhere. It was ubiquitous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do these events where, where again, the, the employees are there and they have their own individual pins. So you have to either you meet them on the show floor, you, you hunt them down, or you go to these events where they show up and then they, they have these tables with like half of it is just their pins and half of it is, you know, the pins that people are trading. So, you know, a lot of people will buy two core sets. So they, they have the four main ones and then they have stuff to trade. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think, I think it's a lot of fun. And, and you, you saw a lot of people with their lanyards just full of pins from top to bottom. Yeah, it's just another way to interact with the culture. And I thought that was just, that, that's, that's awesome. It just seemed out of place to me. Yeah. Oh, and, and one more thing that yeah, feels very much like PAX is that they had a, a diversity lounge and they had... Um, yes. Like extra life and um, AFK lounge. They had the AFK lounge. AFK. And they had uh, child's, child's play. play. Is the one I was thinking, right? Where they are like child's play and extra life were in the hallway. Like they had prominent, uh, like premium space, so that people could see them and and show off, mm -hmm. um, you know, the good stuff that they're doing. And at the other packs I've been to, they're they definitely it, it th that is happening there too. So it it felt really good. Again, the diversity lounge I think is really cool. Um, it's usually a room where it has maybe uh, like a minority representation, right? So take this was actually in there, mm -hmm. and then LGBT organizations, and there were I yeah there that. weren't many there at um, Pax East. I've seen it was bigger with with more people in the lounge, but it's still cool that it was there, and you know so it has its own. I, I kind of feel weird like it's in a separate space from the from the expo hall, but I think it's good that mm -hmm. it also has 
by having its own space, it kind of stands on stands on its own and and is attractive in that way. So again, like those things were like packs. Those are PAX things that I don't I don't know if other conventions have them. And I that's like staples of yep, PAX. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, Dragon Con especially could use an AFK lounge. Good job. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, one in each hotel and one in a central location. At least six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so let's talk about the AFK lounge because so this is put together by the group called Take This, mm-hmm. and I'd love to get those guys on the show sometime in the future. But I went to the AFK Lounge just to kind of see what's going on. And it, basically, it's a it's like a timeout room for adults, basically. It's like a the hustle and bustle of this con getting too much to you. We've got a nice, soft, safe, quiet room. We've got coloring books in the room. We've got water in the room. We've got, you know, a, there's, a, there's like a sense of calm in there. It wasn't, it wasn't as calm as I wanted it to be. And maybe that's because it was just so bustling outside. And I don't know if it's like this at the other PAXs for... for You'll have to tell us, but uh, it seemed like it was in a main thoroughfare, and it probably needed to be in a more, uh, in a less crowded area. Yeah, I don't they know. They usually the like into the hall near. Yeah, it was. It was go at the end ahead, of the hall, ahead, right? Go. It wasn't. Yeah, it, was it wasn't at the, end of the hall. Yeah. It was right next to the Dire Rat Theater, which people were queuing up for the next for the next um, panel, and yeah. they were kind of bustling around outside. And of course, some of the people I think who were working for the convention, letting people into the dire rat lounge or standing close to the doors. And they were all conversing and talking right outside the doors. Yeah. Yeah. To Woody's point there, I mean, it was right next to the dire rat theater where we blasted our theme music for the podcast. So I don't know how loud, how, how much they could hear that next door, but it's usually like, it's, it's not too bad. I think, but really the takeaway or the most important thing about the AFK Lounge is that it is staffed by mental health professionals. It isn't just a room yes. that is there for you to to take a break. Like so usually at conventions, um, especially at PAXs that I've been to, there are areas in the convention center that are kind of um, uh, there isn't anything going on. So you see people sitting along the the, the wall in a hallway, right, to just catch a mm-hmm. catch a break. That's different than I mean. That's essentially what the AFK lounge is is for. But there, again, there are also mental health professionals there, and I know some of the volunteers. And and it is you know it, I think it's really important work, and I like that they do it responsibly. Yeah, and I will say that not only AFK but just in general, one of the things I was most impressed with about PAX that I don't see in other conventions. Now maybe I don't go to enough. Was the whole like. There is a mental health presence at PAX, like nothing I've seen before. You know, it wasn't just the Take This group. It was the Bodana group was there. And um, there were other providers there from uh, Wheelhouse Workshop. And so I, I imagine that there, I mean, and Child's Play, that's also looking at therapy and video games. So the presence was, like I've never been to a con where I felt like we're presented here. Mental health professionals are presented here. Social workers are presented here. Um, you know, those who work with children and adults on skill building, they, it's all represented here. It was fantastic. Yeah. So I know of, uh, there were about three panels, right? Including ours that were mm-hmm. somehow like ours wasn't really promoted as a mental health panel, but we were promoting the, the profession, I guess. Right. Um, in our message and what we were yeah, saying a little bit, um, but there, you know, there were a couple of panels, and and over the years at PAXs and at other conventions, it's been interesting to see to see that presence, right? Like, um, 
So like Wheelhouse Workshop was the guys were there, but they didn't have a booth necessarily, or or they weren't like they were just there hanging out, and they but they did have a panel, right? And I think those panels are really important, yeah, because it it kind of sets the tone for. I don't know. I think it sends a message. And and the PAX guys I know have been very open to that and have been very supportive where other conventions like, uh, you know, a few years ago, I remember, um, I think it was New York Comic Con that just outright like denied every single psychology and mental health panel that was that was submitted. But then San Diego Comic Con wow. has its own academic uh, portion where they they promote that kind of that kind of stuff. And they actually invite uh, mental health professionals and teachers and educators to come and and talk and so it it depends on who's running the show but PAX I think does it really well and 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 I agree it's 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 a good it feels good to be there you don't feel weird as a as a person with that message right right yeah there were um of the panels that I either went to or heard about there was um, trusting the party's healer. Games, right. gamers, and therapy. That was the take. that was the take this and the wheelhouse workshop yep. guys. Yeah, and then there was um, bringing characters to life. That was that the Badana group. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, what is what are games for had had a little bit of that. Yeah, um, I, I think it might have. I didn't look at that panel, but yeah, um, we, we were we were asleep. <laughs> we were asleep. Probably no, we so. No, we weren't asleep. It was th- it was three o'clock in the afternoon. We were doing something. I don't remember what it was. We were doing something at the time. Yeah. Um, and then there was ours. How are games transforming us? Yes. Yes. I I thought that panel went so well for us. I uh, I'm really pleased that people came forward and talked to us. But I had a thought kind of following up from the panel. So I'm sitting there in the panel and I'm thinking about what I'm saying and I'm trying to articulate the mission or the message of rolling for change and the thing that hung up on me and I I didn't really let it affect my presentation but so we're looking at games and we're trying to determine how games are being therapeutic but we can't really point to any particular aspect of a game or say that every game matches this truth and I I don't know if that's true or not but if I was going to try to do a study and this is kind of somewhere in my mind uh, if I was going to try to do a study, I'd want to find out the the basic elements of a game that make it therapeutic. And I don't know. I thought I'd just throw that to you, out to you guys and talk about. Do you guys see? Is there? Is it about the elements? Is it about the games? Can I just say any game? Like is, you know, can we pick something crappy and say, sorry is um sorry for guys that love sorry, uh that sorry is a therapeutic game. Um, I don't know if I can spread the message that all games are therapeutic without some kind of system by which they become therapeutic. It's not just the game itself. The game's a medium for something, but it has to have a guide within the medium. Is that Does that make sense? Well, I don't think that that's our message anymore. I feel like we, we kind of have moved away from, or I don't, I don't really think that we're saying that games are therapeutic. And especially, like, I wouldn't, I, personally, I wouldn't put down a blanket statement that all games are I, I think that any game could be has the potential to again facilitate some sort of change right which is kind of the, the point of our panel right. which is can you can it cause some sort of transformation in you is it possible for you to be different because of a game or after a game and and that can mean like I, I think therapeutic it's funny because from a clinical standpoint 
like therapy means you improved. But uh, from a non-clinical perspective, the word therapy means to me like feel good. But then when you're talking about change and transformation, it's like I had that aha moment. I, I, I grew as a person. I, there was a moment there when I saw things differently. There was a moment when I understood someone differently. I think it's different than being uh, therapeutic. And I, I don't think that there is a system. I mean, we could, we could work on something like that. That would be a lot of fun. Um, and kind of doing it like as an ongoing project to kind of, uh, come up with the terms or the or the the variables that we're looking at right and try to identify them in different games i think that's fun uh and and very interesting and i think it would be very very hard (laughs) to do (laughs) i think um you know you can you can make the case that most games or many games at least can be therapeutic and or educational but you know only a sith deals in absolutes (laughs) so. <laughs> which I thought was always an odd statement because that's an absolute in and of itself. Sure. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I, th- I think our overall message is more tra- starting to trend toward games are transformative in some way. They, yeah. They, and they I think I'm to your life in some way. I think I'm using that, cha- that transformative and therapeutic I- interchangeably. And maybe I should make the distinction between the two. Um, but you know, I, I often thought in the past that, you know, it'd be interesting to see if as a study, if we just send, uh, we, we pick one particular game that we identify as quote unquote therapeutic. We send one person out to play this game with this child on a regular basis for about four sessions. And then we send a therapist out to do it therapeutically and to see the difference in the two, to see if it makes a difference uh, to have a therapeutic guide or if it's just the game itself is doing something or the connection between two people is doing something. But if that were true, then there would be nobody in gaming that was in need of mental health. So, so the, the current um, clinical director of Take This, Raphael, he, he was telling me, he was telling us over dinner, he kept using this term reapplication of gaming, Right. So like, um, so, so like, right. I, I just wanted to throw that out there because I liked the the term, right? Um, yeah, reapplication. Yeah, yeah. It's like a reapplication of games, right? It's not just a game now. It's a because you're using it in a clinical context. It's a reapplication. But um, this is this is the thought that I actually had this morning, which is which is okay. uh, pretty funny. I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but after the after the panel, at the end of the panel. I think one of you guys or both of you guys said, you know, keep rolling for change. And then we received a really nice email over the weekend and Woody, you replied to it and you signed off, keep rolling for change. And I, I, I realized, oh yeah, that's like our sign off from, 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 from yeah. the show. And I was like, oh yeah, keep rolling for change. And there was like an, uh, an action to it, right? Like, oh, like go, go yeah. and roll for change. And then I started thinking about the title of the show. Oh yeah, it's rolling for change. And I kept thinking, wow, why don't we ever use the word change? We're using transformative and transformational and educational and uh, therapeutic now. But really, it's like I think you 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 got it right with the title, which was which you had way before we even started recording, right? <laughs> which is yeah, it's like yeah. oh yeah, like like there is some sort of change because I I would argue that there could be there could be uh, you know a negative change it doesn't necessarily have to be a positive change there could be but there is there is something right there there is something happening or or they can or something can happen and right 
I think I think that's I think that's kind of cool. I don't know. I, I, we've been doing this for two years, and I fell into this thing where I was like, change, change. That's the word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you've also got an English teacher, so I tend to use you know twenty dollar words. Yeah, of for course. Things. Yeah. <laughs> I I think when I thought about it, I, I mean, it just inspiration was what the where the name came from. But rolling for transformation just doesn't just doesn't roll off the tongue so well. No. I, I like that you said, you know, it, it's changed. You're right. It can change in either direction. Um, we're probably not likely to talk a lot about games causing people. I mean, maybe it's worth talking about games possibly causing people problems. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly the antithesis of the a, method, message I've had. <laughs> that's, for a, that's for a future episode, though. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I wasn't suggesting. a whole episode off that. Yeah. Games that are bad for you. <laughs> well, any game could be cards bad against for, humanity. Uh, excuse me. Any game could really be bad for you. It depends. Agreed. On, depends on. I mean, personally, terraforming Mars is bad for me. Yes. It, so it, it it's it harms my self worth. <laughs> it, it's all about the the intersection between the game and the person. Right. But you know, you you could learn something negative about a person that maybe you really liked before because of the way they played a game. You could learn just information that kind of changes your your worldview about something and you know i think that there are games that you assume like oh this game is going to open minds and this person is going to be um more liberal more liberal you know they're going to be like more open-minded and they're going to be less um like uh i don't know like less racist or something i don't know like a specific example of a game that that has that purpose i i know like some are, are educational in that sense but it could go the other way because Throughout history and, and, and right now, that, that happens. You have an experience that, that kind of changes your perspective on things and you start believing one thing over another and, and you may even lose the game because of it because you didn't follow through with the intention of the designer, but that doesn't mean that your takeaway from it wasn't you know something that wouldn't be beneficial to other people or even to yourself. Well, I mean, for God's sake, look at Monopoly. It was originally created as the landlord's game by a, a lady who was trying to teach people about the evils of monopolies, the evils of um, one person controlling everything. Right. You're yeah. right. And eventually the game has transformed itself into a game that celebrates monopolizing things. That's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There, pro- there may be some people who are like, yeah, I'm going to become a real estate tycoon because I really enjoyed beating my friends in Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> There might be those people out there. Yeah. That explains so much about today's world. <laughs> that damn game. It just keeps taking from us. Ah. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I'd love, I'd love to geek prob- out about the panel itself. Cause, cause I think, yeah. I think, I think it was amazing. I think it went really well. Um, it came yeah. together and, and I cried for the last 20 minutes and it was, it was definitely the highlight of my weekend. Yeah, I mean, we what part of the feedback we got from the panel was that you know every other panel at the convention, by design. I mean, I I know everyone completely understood why they did this, but at the end they would take questions for maybe the last ten or fifteen minutes, and they would say, "We don't tell a story, just ask a, ask your question. We don't need a, a story to to start it off with because we want to get through as many questions as possible." And we were the first panelists to say. Ask us your questions, but we totally want to hear your stories. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And we had a few questions, but mostly it was people coming up talking about how games had transformed them. Yeah. And we had people crying, telling their stories. And, you know, I considered it a success if somebody's cried at my panel. 
<laughs> That's in, a terrible in, thing in a to say, but it's in a therapeutic way, <laughs> yes. in a happy way, happy tears. Yep. It wasn't like so, this. So what this panel is, is it... so horrible that I'm crying. Exactly. It wasn't that. Yeah, no, that, 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 no, that would be the antithesis. What, what, what we I did want. somehow <laughs> by some amazing magic of our chemistry and what we offered in the room, we gave people a safe space to express their feelings about their experiences in board games. And that's not really on the table for a lot of people. Like nobody, like people are having these transformative experiences. People are having changes and not being able to sort of bring it up because you know, if you talk to somebody that's outside of our gaming community in the first place and you say that game changed me, they're they're probably going to look at you like you're you're not, you know, you're not playing you're you're crazy. And that's not the case. We're all experiencing these amazing things in games and I you know, I've gone on record uh, on about many things that have made changes for me in games. That's kind of where this whole thing came from was for me to kind of take this autobiographical trip. But to see other people taking that away and and finding some value in it and feeling empowered and feeling that their story makes a difference, that just that corner that we turned there made me much more excited than I was. And I was pretty excited about rolling for change already, but now I feel like we really have a mission to make sure that we are exposing people's stories and exposing the stories of designers and identifying the ways that games are changing us, whether or not we do some kind of qualitative, I mean, quantitative research, we can do the qualitative research of just getting people's lived experience of games and and presenting that to the community so that the community can feel supported in their own lived experience of transforming in games. Yeah, I mean, one of the, our, our main goal, we discussed it the day before and for weeks before that, but we solidified it the night before, was that we wanted to make a very specific point of talking for maybe 30 to 40 minutes tops. Yeah. And leaving room at the end, plenty of ample room at the end for people to share their stories. Because if anyone's listened to this show for any amount of time, they know we can talk for the full hour. Sure. We, we, we can do that. That We have no problem filling an hour with our with our. And thoughts. if Pete Petrusha's in the room, we're talking for three. <laughs> That's that. true, yes. <laughs> um. We love you, Peter. Um, but if we're going to be a podcast about the transformative nature of games, we could sit there for an hour and tell people live how games are transforming them. Or we could we could hear them tell us how the games are transforming them. Yeah. And we opted for the um, more interactive version. We wanted to hear other people's stories. So I like that you mentioned that, that you know, we kind of, that was like at the sort of at the last minute, right? We were just kind of putting the panel together or, or some of the details of it. I was like, yeah, we should leave time for people to share their stories. Yeah, that would be pretty good. <laughs> um, and then it ended up being like the, yeah, like the, the best part and the most obvious part, I think, in hindsight. Um, I was talking to the the Adam and Adam from Wheelhouse Workshop or Game to Grow now. Wheelhouse Workshop doesn't exist. Yeah. Game to Grow. And okay. they, they were saying that, you know, they they're hoping to have um, booth space in the future at future events. And he mm -hmm. told me, if you guys want to come over and set up a recording station at the table to collect stories, I think that would be great. I was like, yeah. So I already agreed, just in case you guys were wondering. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that would be a great idea. That. You know? Um, no, it would be awesome. Yeah. It'd be fantastic. I, I and, yeah. and I think, you know, I remember, the, I remember. having, like what he said, we I think we did a great job of 
yeah, we promoted our, the podcast, we promoted ourselves, and we, but then we we presented the idea of the show, which is I like the, I like the word that Woody uses, an exploration. We're not experts, like like Brian, you just said, like we could we could tell them what makes them transformative, but we we can't we couldn't possibly agree on that, and I don't think any of us believe that we know what that is. So we really are trying to figure it out and hear, and only by hearing examples or even, you know, we can look at our own examples, but those are limited. And by hearing other people's examples and kind of dissecting them and reflecting on them, can we even really come close to even start to ask the right questions that would lead us to, to say, this is what makes a game, you know, change you. Right. You you know, the thing is, I'm coming from a background of humanistic psychology, phenomenology, and existentialism, and, and all that's that sort of branch of psychology, which, you know, just from the, the therapeutic view, we are not the people who tell people what they're going through. We are the people who clear the way so that what people are going through can be told. Yeah. That's, and I feel like that's what we did at the panel, really. We cleared the way for, for some people to tell their story, and I hope as a result of us recording that and and providing it to everybody else out there that they will want to tell their stories as well. So we become story collectors in a sense, and we are exploring. That is my favorite word right now for this because I don't want to go in and say there's some definite solid answer. I'd like to, I'd like to continue to explore that idea that there might be something at the bottom of it all, but we're catching glimpses of things by looking through other people's eyes. We're doing phenomenology in a sense. And we are human, very humanistic, right? Humanistic therapy is based on the idea of creating a safe space and then reflecting back, right? A lot of what, what the client is saying. So that's absolutely what we just described. That's what we did at the panel. Yeah, absolutely. Brian is doing something and I'm, he, he seems to be communicating something to me. Uh, can he not speak anymore? Oh, well, <laughs> he's trying to. <laughs> it, was, it was a question I had for him, but I had to show him something first. So, oh, okay, then do it, do it. Okay, so, um, <laughs> sorry guys, to kind of round this off. One of the stories that we got, and he was, you, you'll hear it in the um, in the live recording that we did, but it's a more fleshed out version. Um, Thomas Putney, one of our listeners. Um, hello, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Um, he he gave me a copy of um, a longer form of a an idea that he got from uh, one of his game masters, and it was what he told us during during the panel. But he said there was a longer form version of it, and he said it expressed it a little bit more clearly. And I asked him if we could have a copy of it to read on the podcast, and he said, "By all means, please. It's a great message to get out." Excellent. Um, and it's called "You Start at Level One." He says, my favorite GM, Christopher Zanzinger, once asked me casually, what is the hardest level for a Dungeons & Dragons character to achieve? In most versions of the more recent iterations of the role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons, also known as D&D, you cap out at level 20 and start at level 1. So I thought for a moment, because it seemed like an obvious answer, and said, 20? With a cautious tone. Chris corrected me gently and said, no, it's level 1. You see, your character had a whole life, a whole childhood and young adulthood and sometimes middle and late age to become level one. D 
Depending on if you're a human, a dwarf, an elf, or a gnome, your character might have waited over a century before they chose to be, or perhaps were forced to be, an adventurer. Imagine waiting that long to be who you wanted to be, or needed to be. To younger people, even the older ones reading this or hearing this, who understand how hard that wait must have been, and know how long that wait can seem in real life, take hope. You are not alone. Others play this same game of life that you do. In the game Dungeons & Dragons, for example, you must work as a team to survive your journey together. Some characters will have monstrous strengths, others will have lesser ones. It all depends on how the dice landed when you began your journey. That might just sound familiar to those of us in the real world. In many ways, your character, finding level 1 in D&D, is them making the choice that they will interact with the world with what they have to offer. In the real world, there are certain rules and professions, and there are no strict guidelines for how you're supposed to work for each person. Sometimes people find and need you for certain roles or services because your skills and talents. Sometimes it is about choosing a group of people you can be with and be accepted by. A group you can party with, fight alongside with, argue with, and in the end, live with. On the other hand, though, we can spend a lot of time alone in searching. Maybe you're not sure, or have never been told what your skills and talents were. Maybe you were told you had none by those who misunderstood you. So now you cannot understand your own talents either. I will say this. The best characters I have played and seen played are not the strongest in terms of stats, but in terms of personality and literally character. They are the ones who bend the world to their will and come out on top, despite a low charisma, lacking constitution, or dubious wisdom. Bill Gates once said he would hire a lazy man for a complicated problem because they would find the solution with the least effort. I think what he was getting at is something I believe inherently. That people being similar might seem easier, safer, but living in a dangerous world, being on this dangerous journey of life means safe does not always work. A D&D party of only one class usually fails because they cannot handle all the variety of challenges coming at them. It takes a diverse group with all sorts of talents and skills to succeed. Even if you so even if you feel, or God is forbid, you believe you have no talents, no feats, no feats only you can perform, do not listen to that voice, especially if it's your own because that is a voice of the past, what you have been, not who you are now. You are not meant to be defined by your past or your potential futures. Both fall to the wayside of the now. Yes, your collective experience brings you to this now, and yes, you have to aim for something as a goal. But your actions in the now are all that matter. You cannot trust the dice of fate to be kind. So even if you feel prepared or have the perfect plan, it must be kept in mind, that which cannot move will perish. You must live life you must live a life of movement, adaptation, reinterpretation, and even rule, rules lawyering to keep yourself moving. There is no one person or thing that can truly stop your ambition without killing you, imprisoning you, or, letting, or you letting them do it. If none of those things are in your way, you owe it to yourself to roll the dice and try. After all, today can be your level one. Even if you're older, you can always pick a new job, a new class, or start again. Be who you want wear the title you wish, and go forth and win the second level from life any way you can. In the end, with each new day of life and freedom, your adventure has just begun. Wow. Damn wow. I responded to him that I've I've had three different careers over the course of my life, and I've multiclassed at this point. <laughs> I started at level one in a variety of different traits. 
So that really resonated with me. Yeah, me too. When he when he shared that story, I mean, I'm the I'm in the same boat as, as you, Brian. So, yeah, I I loved it. I don't remember what I said after he, you know, he 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 said the story, but I felt I felt the same way. I was like, yes, like that's such an important. Once you realize that you that you can right that level one I don't know we could go deep into it but I, I loved his story and damn it now we need we we, we need a, a story to like at the end of every episode I think <laughs> <laughs> I agree I totally agree um, he just that 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 story that he wrote that that piece that he wrote it comes from his experience of gaming so. You, you have to to give credit in the game, like the game gave him the ability to see something in a new way. Yeah. And his game master interpreting that game, gave right, him, gave him a, cor- a a nugget of an idea that he expanded on. And he took it somewhere. And this is a, a good lesson for any DM out there, or guide, or whatever you want to call it, that you have the potential. You're not a therapist. You're not necessarily a life coach, but you have the potential to to say something that will make a huge difference in someone's life. And I wonder if he. I wonder a, if he did it on purpose. Moment. I wonder if like Thomas needed that at that moment, and that's why he told him. Or if he was just like feeling clever that morning. He was like, "Hey, check this out. I just came up with this." <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> check this out. I'm gonna drop some wisdom on you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Thomas is like, "Boom!" It just blew his mind and changed his life. <laughs> right. It sounds like it did. I mean, yeah. he he talked he talked to us afterward. Um, for some time, we went up to the food court and chatted with a few of um, the people from the panel uh, who were audience members and he said that that one moment was a was a linchpin turning moment in his yeah. life where he yeah. came to a lot of deeper realizations yeah yeah so i know that there's probably these peak experiences in these seminal moments in, in other people's lives in relation to other other experiences but to bring the focus in on games just makes it really like it's exciting to me that we can we can talk to people and and grab this this information that's kind of hidden information for the most part because nobody else is really exploring it. You know, maybe friends know it, but we don't know it as a collective we in the world of gaming. And, I mean, even this podcast is not going to disseminate it to the entire collective of gamehood, but we're we, it's it's still going to make a difference for somebody. And and we can just ripple out. And, and your stories, our stories, all of these can be meaningful to us as a whole. You know, I met up with a friend who um, in Philadelphia who I used to work with, and he told me a story about something that the the thing that made him um, turn to religion, like the thing that that turned him towards the church. And the story when he told it, he interpreted it in such a way that led him down that path. And I was thinking if that same exact thing would have happened to me, it would have had a completely different effect. And it was it's it was so. Um, it was such a good reminder of of the fact that when we're talking about this, this is these are unique experiences. Like, yeah, we can relate to each other, and I can I can relate so much to to Thomas's um, interpretation of, of of what his uh, GM said and how it affected his life, and and I love it. And I had a similar experience with an episode of Doctor Who a few years ago, and I wrote about it too because it was like one of those moments. I was like, whoa, like I like I see it now, and that's exactly what I needed at this moment, but. Nobody else on that Saturday afternoon watching a rerun of Doctor Who was probably having the same experience I was. Right. It, it's it's maybe it has something to do with whether or not we're ready at that point for a growth moment. Yes. And it's just whatever we're involved yeah. with, 
it shows up when we need it. You know, that's a very humanistic idea that that we're already growing, we're already peeling the onion back on a regular basis, and when all things are right, you make another level jump, kind of. You level up. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I walked away from that panel just thinking, wow, we we have so much potential here. I'm I'm just so excited right now. <laughs> I, I'm still high from my experience at PAX Unplugged, and uh, you know, we we haven't talked about whether or not. I mean, I guess. There wasn't a lot of gameplay, which is kind of strange because this was a game convention. I think I played a grand total of three games. Three games? Yeah, and two of those was uh, Codenames Disney. (laughs) No, 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 no. You played four games then if you're going to count two Codenames Disney's. Okay. I know I played Dream Chaser. We played Dream Chaser with Peter. Peter. I was so happy to finally get to, A, play that game, and B, finally meet Peter in in the flesh. Yeah. And, and I'd like to talk about that. And we also played Fortress, which is a new Friedman Freeze game, which I think is really worth talking about. Um, just just quickly, because Friedman Freeze, uh, you guys might know him for Power Grid and uh, Free Furry Floors, uh, uh, Furious Floors, Fantastic, Fearsome Floors, Fearsome, Fearsome floors. floors. Thank you. A bunch of a bunch of games that have a lot of F's in them. Fuji Flush. Uh, yeah, uh, so Friedman Fries is uh, known really well for doing these F games, but now what he's done, <laughs> now what he's done is he create he's created a system called Fast Forward, and the Fast Forward game it's a game in a box, and you just you have a deck of cards or whatever, and you pull the first card and it tells you how to play. You learn the game as you play the game, and Brian and I learned that basically the whole first time through is just meant as a teaching game. You're not even trying to win the game. You are trying to learn the game. But he's teaching the game as you go, which for me, as a rules crawler and someone who really has challenges with uh, reading rule books, because I kind of need visual and direct information, um, it's a fantastic system for that purpose. I thoroughly loved watching you go through this because I grokked what he was doing halfway through. I was like, holy crap, he's teaching us the game as we go. Oh my God! And even by the end, Woody was like, "I, it, this game's not even replayable." We played through the whole game. I said, "No, we've opened the rule book and played through the rule book. Now you have the entire deck, and you can just play the base game as it was meant to be played." And Woody just sat across from me, blinked a few times, and said, "Holy crap!" <laughs> he just taught us a game inside of an hour. Yeah, just by sitting and playing it over and over and over again, and playing with different rules almost every other turn. Or every other round. And there are two more games in this same series. One's a cooperative and one's a more luck-based game. The one we played was a more strategy-based game. But I imagine that it's going to be kind of a an ongoing series for Friedman Fries to do these fast-forward games. And that, that's a new... I like to see new concepts come forth. That's that's pretty cool. And then, of course, we ta- taught Hosway how to play Codenames. With Codenames Disney. With Codenames Disney. Which proved to be... One of the more challenging iterations of that game. Absolutely. Maybe not the right place to start, but uh, what did you think, Josue? Um, I liked it a lot. I, th- I think it was funny that I'd, I'd heard a lot about the game, but I was excited that it was Disney. So it was funny that you guys, um, I only guessed, right, the two times that we played, but it was funny that you guys right. made a lot of um, non-Disney clues. 
And my mind was 100%. <laughs> I was like so focused on Disney. I wasn't thinking of anything outside. I was like, what? Why does, how, what does that have to do with Disney? You know, and, and if I probably if I would have not had that mindset, maybe I would have gotten some more clues. <laughs> maybe. Well, it doesn't help that I thought that Casey at bat was the same as Casey Jr. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> or that you uh, got uh, the bird and the dog mixed up from up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I didn't realize that's what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's... he's, The dog is Doug. He said squirrel, and I looked over at the card. I was like... I leaned over to... Remember remember when at the middle of the game, I leaned over whispering something to Woody? Yeah. I said, Frank is not the dog, it's the bird. He goes, oh. (laughs) And it wasn't Frank, it was... um, Yeah, see, you've got something wrong now. It wasn't Frank. Russell, I think. No, 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 Russell's Russell's the the child. Oh, right, right, right. The bird was. Uh, It doesn't matter. (laughs) uh, It wasn't Frank. Eric? No. 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 Hold on. (laughs) He's going to look it up, but. uh, Now I'm obsessed. So. (laughs) I guess. I'm just going to kind of probe for a moment here, Josue. Did. I have to go soon. What was it like to to play the game? Yes, I know. You have to go soon. Talking. What was it like for you to play the game? Oh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, cause, cause I can, I can imagine the non-Disney version being like what it's like now. Like, cause I just, I just never played it. I think I, I like the different mechanics. I like the little, um, like the layout of the board that is, you know, random and and you're kind of assigned this and you're limited to that. And I like it. I like it a lot. I am looking. Yeah, I was forward. just wondering if those moments where you didn't know for sure what it was were in any way, like, were you afraid to to choose? Were you uh, worried about making mistakes? Um. Well, yeah. Like, I didn't want to make uh, a mistake uh, necessarily. Um. But but I think you know it's it, this is one of these games where whoever on, people on both sides that you need to like you're making some some assumptions about the other person. So you're like, well, this person probably means this, or this pro- person probably knows something about this. So I'm gonna make this a clue, or I'm gonna take this guess. And that meta game of it is is fantastic. I don't even th- that's a meta game. I think that's just the game. That yeah, two things. A, the bird's name is Frank. Gotcha. No, really? It's not. No, no it's bird, not Frank. His name is Kevin. 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 It's not Frank. It's Kevin. Right. And second, it's this game is a lot like um, apples to apples in that. If you have to know the per, if you the you will play the game better if you know the person who's your partner. You you have to play to your audience. I I typically tend to win at apples to apples because if I'm playing with someone who I know very well, or a group of people I know very well, I can place a clue out there or place a card out there to match their clue that will automatically be a win for them because it's something they're going to find funny. And if I know what, what makes you tick, I can play a card. Typically if I have one that will be the winner and code names is kind of the same way. If you know your audience, if you know the person who's your partner, you can give them clues that you're pretty sure they're going to get. Otherwise like Woody's partner in, in the second game that we played, he was, he did not know up. Even whenever, even whenever Woody gave him an explicit clue, he didn't know the movie up. 
Yeah. And what he was like, I should. So it's it's very, uh, you have to have a very distinct knowledge of what you're talking about, especially in relation to a Disney code names or a Marvel code. Yeah. I think that everything that Brian said is true or truer in the base game because there isn't necessarily a theme, right? Like one word could mean many different things, but like, uh, the word Kevin, I mean, it was literally, it's a specific character that it wasn't a general idea. There was one on the on there was right. Corona. It wasn't the beer. It wasn't Crown in Spanish. It was a city in a Disney movie. Beer. You know, <laughs> I didn't even yeah. think of the beer. Yeah. All I could think of was the yeah. Corona around the sun. I think, you, I think it's easier yeah, to play I, with I strangers, um, the Marvel or the or the Disney game, assuming that you're playing it because because you know what that is. It's like 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 a trivia night, right? Like, oh, I know that topic. I'm going to play that one. Yeah. Well, I was sitting across from my way going colorful three and everyone's like what the crap colorful and then they look down and then woody looks down at the cards and goes oh damn it i know where he's going with this <laughs> and sure enough boom 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 yep, yep. <laughs> and depending on if you have someone wacky in the group try to make it a little more wacky and the idea of dream chaser is we're both telling that same kind of fiasco like story where we're creating the story as we go but we have a guide who has a storyline that of course changes as it goes, but he's our ringleader. He's the one who keeps us on task. Mm-hmm. He's the one who keeps the story flowing. Um, and I really appreciated that because a lot of a lot of these newer, um, newer style storytelling games are a little loosey goosey with the storytelling element. Yeah, there was a really good structure that that was presented uh, as part of the game's process. Like we're we're setting up and we're. We're talking about our traits and we're talking about the things that we're going to work on. We're talking about all the important steps that we're going to use to make the story. And then somehow we took those disparate elements and made a story out of it, which was just a magical moment. Even though we only got to play for two hours, watching the story come together and watching the players become alive within the story, watching myself become alive as the character that I was inhabiting was a little breathtaking because I... Now, you, you didn't interpret this the way that I interpreted it, and that's fine. But my character had to play a very assertive role at one moment. And you saw him as coming forth like the dude, but he wasn't the dude. He was doing some serious cowboy stuff yeah. in the moment. And for me, finding that voice, that assertive, I'm going to take control sort of voice, is not always as easy as maybe it comes to some other people. And it allowed me to inhabit that voice a little stronger and be this other character. That's what I love about role-playing in the first place. But a lot of role-playing games, we don't get the chance to really role-play. We role-play because we're rolling dice. But we don't role-play by adding you know, the characterization of what's going on. We try. Um, and it works in some places. Like Numenera, it worked really well, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and, some, and somewhat it works in uh, the Pathfinder game that we're in. But this space, I just got to be an improv hard-ass character now how a hard-ass character gets in a jam band is a good question to ask but um we were playing uh we were playing a show in mexico in a dive bar in a dive bar and uh this drug cartel comes in and starts messing things up and i stood up to him and i said you know you're really messing up our calm and uh that was that's not a dude statement come on it wasn't meant to be a dude statement, though. It, <laughs> I get it. I get what I get where you're coming from, but it was meant to be this this really strong. It was almost more more Sam Shepard than it was, yeah, uh, dude. 
Yeah. To me, it was anyway. It was this deep, rumbling kind of tall guy walking up to him, and you're really messing things up here, man. Something has to. And, you know, it's not the man. You're really messing things up here. You know. I know. So I, I just, it's not important that you know that. What's important for me is that that character came to life in me in that moment, and I was no longer. I was transformed in that moment. Yeah, and um, basically, Woody was playing part of the band, but he was the uh, mentor dude. Well, I was the guy. singer at first. He was the singer at first. Um, but the bass player... He was, he was meant to be kind of a, a guide or a mentor, which we never got to that part, but I no. can see where it was headed that way. Yeah. My character was uh, the hotshot guitarist, a little hot-headed, little, uh, little um, impulsive, primarily because my character, um, who was completely afraid of dying a, um, a meaningless death had created, if you've ever played D and D had created a phylactery, which had a, a necklace that had a portion of his own blood stored inside of it. They had, he had performed a spell over that made him essentially immortal until he, until the vial was broken. That way he could get to choose to die a death that he felt was meaningful. And so because of that, he could take risks that other people wouldn't typically take, like maybe getting shot, which happened. Yes. And blew people's minds because I, by all rights, should have died. Right. And I didn't. And it blew my mind, too, because it was the first time my character had ever faced real death. And I was like, oh, crap, it worked. <laughs> so Woody's character is out there facing off against this guy. I don't know that he's actually talked him into chilling. Because he's 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 told the guy, look, we're a really good band and we're going to pull in a ton of money tonight. I understand you didn't get the money you wanted from the barkeep, but but that's if, not going to happen this way, man. If you hang around, you'll get your money. Right, but if you start shooting the place up, you're not getting your this money. show ain't going to happen. These people aren't going to come in, and the money you want so bad, it isn't going to come, and you're just going to end up killing somebody. You know, it's not going to work. Quit and messing course, up our calm. And of course, the guy in the bath—I'm in the bathroom. His partner's in the bathroom, and somehow or another, the guy goes for his gun. And I, being the you know in my prime and foolhardy, do the last thing he expects. I grab his Uzi, and sh and you know, try to keep him, try to keep him back. Um, he did something that made the gun accidentally go off, and I blew him away. Um, there was a double, so in the way you roll in this game, oh, there right. was a double success. So there was excess, a success of Brian's move, but there was also a failure of Brian's move. I rolled two dice. I, I rolled two dice, and then I re-rolled one of them because I was able to t give a story point that would make it valid that I would re-roll that failure. And it was a double. So I re-rolled the die, and it was a it was doubles. One was still a success. One was still a failure, but they were doubles. Which so when they're a double, you get critical failure, critical success. The best thing that could happen, but also the worst thing that could happen. Yes. The best thing that could happen was my phylactery works and I get the gun free and clear. The bad thing that happens is I accidentally shoot the guy. Yes. Which was not what I wanted. Um, the guy Woody's facing off with sees me blow his buddy away and shoots me a few times which does diddly squat. Then he takes, he took you prisoner, right? He took you and held a gun to you. Instead. I don't quite remember the end. I remember the, the end as you told it, because we were having to close out the game suddenly. And yeah. the end, as you told it was this tragic moment. 
and worth telling. Yeah. So I decided, he said, how do you, we, we had the chance to have a denouement. We had the chance to end the story. He, he said, we don't really have time to finish it because I got to be off at, the, at another thing. But how do you think the story would end? And I said, well, remember, my character is fearful of a bad death. Well, think about this. I've just been shot in a bar saving some people as far as I'm concerned. That would be a good death. I could have chosen to break the phylactery there and just go ahead and die. This would be a story that would be like on the level of instead of on the level of Elvis dying on the toilet would be on the level of Buddy Holly dying in an airplane on his way to the next show. You know, something epic. Yeah. But I chose not to break the phylactery, which is now giving me a moral quandary because I know I technically should. I should I should be dead right now, but I didn't. So the guy takes what I, I decided the guy was going to take what his character captive and then accidentally, accidentally or on purpose, one way or the other. Somehow I got shot. Woody dies. I, in that moment, decide this is a good death. Break the vial. Feed him my blood, my enchanted blood. It brings him back to life, and I die. Yeah. And I go on as a ghost inhabiting him because he drank my enchanted blood, inhabiting him, and we both go off on adventures together, me inside <laughs> of his head and him living his life. I, I don't know that my character was looking forward to adventures with another voice inside his head since he was really looking for just a sense of isolation and calm in his life. <laughs> Well, you'd still be so that would have that. that would have been a very tragic end. That would have been you know it, it's almost got like quantum leap kind of feel to it but, at that moment. You know, like but that's the whole. Point I'm of your stuck character. with this guy as my guide the rest of my life. But that was your character's want and desire was to have a life of solitude, and you weren't going to have that, which means that was your story point to work on. Work yes, forward, yes. To get me to move to move oh, on. Oh, I see. And you okay. were going to be my what my wise mentor, which is my character point. Yes. And try to guide me toward moving on to the next life, which I still wasn't willing to do yet. See, it's fantastic that everybody's story didn't have anything to do with the story that I originally told myself when we started trying to tell the story. It's or like mine either. You you had to <laughs> the way the game works, you pretty much have to like you come up with your idea, but you know, that whole idea of killing your darlings and writing, you are killing your darlings all the way through the process. You are getting rid of these story aspects that you thought were going to come to fruition. Because it's your story, because no, it's not your story. It is a collective story between, in this case, the three of us. Um, and uh, that that is fascinating to watch happen. If you can allow yourself to let go of those things that you thought were am- amazing in the first pass when you're making the story, then you can have the experience of really experiencing something unfold. Yeah, And Woody at the end was just like flabbergasted. You're going to sacrifice your character for me? I said, in a way, then I was going to possess, I was going to, you know, be a, a voice in your head until you could convince me to move on. He goes, oh, oh, that's, that's a little different than what I had in mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a noble sacrifice in a way, but I wanted to hang, basically, my character was determined to hang around until he made sure that his death was viewed by the public the way he wanted to. He wanted to be immortalized by God. Yeah. It was up to you to, to convince him, you don't need that. Just move on and have peace. So you guys may have listened to the Dream Chaser interview. If you haven't listened to it, please go back a few episodes and listen to our Peter Petrucia episode. I know it's a long one. Um, it's partially long because we played a game on there, but um, go listen because I, I really want people to go and check out this game. I, I'm, I am enamored with it right now. 
I, I have the box staring me in the face, and I want to open it up and start planning uh, some one-off adventures for people because I, I think this this can be a pretty amazing system. And I'm a fan of storytelling systems as it is, so we might have to do a show on storytelling systems sometime in the future to talk about how storytelling can be uh, storytelling can be amazing. I mean, yeah. Personal mythology helps us open doors. So, so that's I mean we kind of diverged a little bit, but that's Pax Unplugged for us. And I don't know what's your overall like. You here you're here at the end now. We're we're at the end of our tether on talking about Pax. What do you feel like? What stood out to you? What's what's your takeaway? My takeaway is I definitely want to go back again. Um, it's this is this is a good con. Um, I've, I've had a wonderful experience at Dice Tower Con. Um, this one, I, I know that we went to the uh, the AFK room partially because you just wanted to see what it was like, but I think partially because you recognized I was getting a little overwhelmed and had to go sit down someplace. Yeah. Um, I went in there and laid down and took a quick nap for a couple minutes. Um, but it was a good kind of overwhelmed. Um, yeah. There was just a lot to take in, a lot to think about. Um, the panels were amazing. The, um, yeah, the whole experience was, uh, I've, I've had very few, um, conventions where almost the entire experience was positive. Um, the only thing that I would, I would change is I would take a flight up. I would fly up, (laughs) fly back, uh, and not stay in Airbnb. (laughs) If I had, I, I ended up driving up there and driving back and Woody came back with me, which was a godsend because driving up, I was able to stay at a friend's house in North Carolina and driving back. I drove the whole 15 hours. It's, yeah. It's 12 hours if you, from Atlanta. To so you don't get Philly. to sacrifice yourself too much here because yeah. you didn't allow me to drive any. Yeah. Just pointing it out. There's that. But I would not drive next year. That's what I would not no, do. That, I would that's not uh... drive. I'm going to fly, but I'm going to go. And, uh, Oswey asked the question earlier. He, he said, "Do you think they'll they'll let us have another panel there?" I said, "I I I would like for them to, but even if they don't, I'll probably still go to the con because I liked it. I enjoyed it." Yeah, for me, so it's the first con where I really focused on the professional side of both rolling for change and kind of who I am, instead of focusing on the uh, the inner game geek. You know, like I said, four games, three games, whatever. I didn't play many games for a game convention. That's kind of weird. But I was just astounded. I was just in a constant state of amazement. And I was pushing myself to whatever limit I can reach. Um, and as I get older, I don't reach those limits quite like I used to. Like it, it, They're quicker. But I would say that my experience of the con was that my batteries were generally not fully charged. But they were constantly burning. Uh, so it was kind of like... How far can we push this body? How far can we make this happen? You know, how much can you push yourself to meet with new people and talk with new people? How much can you push yourself to go and talk to designers? Um, for for me, just going to talk to designers and forcing myself to be a single lone person at a convention and go around and talk to people and get them to talk on on as in a recording. That in and of itself was uh, an amazing thing. So. Would I go back? Absolutely. I, I would love to continue to be a part of this convention in some way. Obviously, we can't do the same panel every time. So we have sure. to find new ways to express this and new ways to to connect with people. Although we can end it the same way. 
Certainly, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of a goal. Yeah, and there's there's just so much. I mean, we've got a year of growth ahead of us before the next one comes along. Along. Oh, I will say the only other, I wouldn't say it's a negative, but it's um, it was something that was kind of detracting for me was that it's primarily an Amerithrash yeah. convention rather than a Euro game. I was convention. kind of I was and kind I like of sad at the lack like of Euro yeah. in in the place. I mean, obviously, a lot of the you know, the Amerithrash idea of, of really theming something up. A lot of the newer games that are coming out that have theme are are pushing Euro aspects into their games, which, you know, like Scythe is a perfect example. That is a good marriage of Euro and Amerithrash. Um, but at the same time, this con was not... This was truly an American con. This was not Essen. But, you know, to, to speak to that, Gen Con's not very heavy on Euro either. I know. I didn't say there wasn't any. I just said yeah. there was a, a lack of, of Euro elements. Um, for yeah, my, this was for American gaming for an American audience for the most part, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's not that it was a, not that it was a bad thing for me, but it was just like, uh, where are my cube pushers? I want a yeah. cube pusher now. Yeah, and it was a lot of um, minis and take that and um, just high high themed games. Yeah, and the Euros were all out at BGG. Yeah. <laughs> Which to speak to that, I'm kind of sad that I haven't ever gone to BGG, and I, 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 at some point in the future, it'd be good to do that. But I don't know if BGG would be this kind of convention where you can have this mental health presence and this sense of like all these professionals who are gamers. That's just yeah, that makes me happy. Well, all right, we're gonna do our best to be at the next one and hopefully connect to some other conventions. You know, the the best thing I can do. The best thing I can see happening with Rolling for Change is that we become more enmeshed in the convention scene so that we can talk to you guys and get your 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 thoughts, your impressions, your feelings, your stories. Um, but as we're closing out here, I want to encourage anyone who wants to tell us anything about the, the way that games have changed their lives to write us. We can be reached at gamers at rollingforchange.com. And we also have a Twitter handle which is at roll for change um we don't use it a lot and i think we're going to start moving over to using the twitter handle for geek therapy so that we can all kind of conglomerate in one space and we'll use a hashtag rfc for our our posts there but just any this is just basically an invite to anyone who wants to connect with us we want to connect with you we want to be maybe we can say a broadcaster for the community yeah. That, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, you share us your you share with us your stories, and we'll share as much or as little of it as you wish. And we're going to continue to seek out um, game designers and uh, professionals in the field, whether it's business, mental health, teaching. I, I don't know if they use games in lawyering, but if they do, we can talk about that too. You know, we can find the places where games connect with our world. Um, that that's kind of if the mission was never stated successfully the mission stated successfully is we are here to explore gaming as it relates to your lived experience exactly yeah the focus of the podcast continues to be kind of a chimera but yeah it's a good thing well you know we're exploring we are we are aware that we are not a solid but we are a liquid entity as i said at the at the panel not all who wander are lost. Exactly. 
and we are going to continue to wander. So thanks so much for listening to us. Uh, please let us know what you're thinking, and we'll uh, we'll be out here. We'll keep rolling for change. Keep on rolling for change. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Rolling for Change. Our podcast is still growing, and we want you to be a part of our community. You can do that by writing us at our email. We are gamers at rollingforchange.com. Let us know you're out there. Tell us your gaming stories. Help us choose the topics we'll discuss. Just connect with us. Let us know you're out there. We'd really like to hear from you. If you really enjoy our show, write us a review on iTunes or on Podbean. That's really helpful for getting more people into our community and for us getting feedback from you. You can also join our Twitter feed. We are at Roll for Change, or you can use the at Geek Therapy with hashtag RFC. Rolling for Change is a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. Check out geektherapy.com for a host of geeky podcasts that discuss the ways that our geek culture and pursuits have a healthy impact on the world. The background music you're listening to was provided by Rocket Scientists from their album Refuel. You can find this song, Galileo, as well as other amazing progressive rock albums at thetank.com. Again, thanks so much for listening. We're committed to providing content that explores the benefits and culture of tabletop gaming. We have many more great shows lined up for you. Tell your friends, subscribe to our show, and keep on rolling for change.